0: Full disclosure, I'm Robin Farzad. An apple a day won't keep this doctor away. (laughs) Presenting Dr. Arnold Kim, Virginia nephrologist turned internationally renowned expert on apple. And let me tell you, I am so psyched about this guest that I could pass a kidney stone right now. Full disclosure, stay with us. Broadcast of Full Disclosure made possible by Health Warrior makers of Chia Bars. Ounce for ounce, chia has more omega-3 than salmon, more fiber than oatmeal, and packs protein, calcium, and antioxidants. Certified gluten-free, certified non-GMO, certified kosher, and you know me, I love these chia bars, especially apple, cinnamon, and mango, but you can also get them in chocolate peanut butter, banana nut, coconut coffee, acai berry, dark chocolate cherry. The chia seeds are available in premium black chia seeds and premium white chia seeds. Visit them at healthwarrior.com. And by Elwood Thompson's, locally owned and independently operated natural foods market serving Richmond, Virginia since 1989. I love the hot bar for breakfast. I love Indian Wednesdays. I love the cafe. I love the beat. Visit them at the top of Carytown and on elwoodthompsons.com. He's been in the New York Times and Wired Magazine, Dr. Arnold Kim, founder of MacRumors.com, probably the biggest single Apple news blog slash source slash whatever you want to call it on the worldwide interwebs, 15 million unique visitors a month. And and how many Twitter followers do you have? Five trillion? What was it? Uh, the
1: MacRumors account, like 650,000. You are big time, my friend. Yeah, we
0: are. What everybody wants to know how this happened, if you can give us the long and short of... You were a star med school student. You went You went to Columbia undergrad. You came to Central Virginia to go to MCV yeah. uh, to become a nephrologist, a kidney doctor. Yes. And what happened? Take us back to the inception of macrumors.com.
1: So before I went into nephrology, I, I was a – I mean, I was always a computer guy. So computer science major in college. I uh, went to Columbia. Uh, came to medical school in Richmond. And um, that was in the late 90s. So that was right when the dot-com stuff started happening. So a lot of excitement. Uh, internet got big, websites got big, uh, and I always, I just sort of on the side had these hobbies. So I made some websites. One of them in two thousand was Mac Rumors, and it was mostly just for hobby purposes. It wasn't, you know, at that time, um, it was still early in terms of the whole blog scene. I think. Were that you did...
0: always a Mac fanboy? Like going back.
1: Uh, I was a Mac fan. Fanboy sort of has some different <laughs> connotations with it. Oh, I don't yeah. even know.
0: I, I, I throw no, no. these terms around like Netflix and chill, and then millennials come up to me like, "Mister, you just said something." Yeah. No,
1: I was always a big Apple fan. I had you know Apple TC growing up, TGS, and then switched to Mac at some point in college. And because then- that's the interesting
0: thing with me, I, I was in college in the early '90s, and that um, was the first and last time I encountered a Mac until about 2010 right? Um, yeah. where, where we were presented with them at our magazine. They gave us all IMAX. And then, you know, now it's six years later and I have every single Apple product in the house. I just bought an Apple TV. But it was uh, for many people, I think, in our generation. And, and this, this website came of age. I think the inception, it was launched in February of 2000. So it's 16 years old, plus or minus right now. That was a real moribund time for Apple.
1: Yeah. I mean, the way you describe it sounds about right. I mean, the late 90s, it was not good for Apple. It, things were... Uh, not in good shape. I mean, I guess Jobs came back in. Jobs came back in the
0: late '90s, and so we. And it were... had its near-death experience, I think, in '97 when Bill Gates had to give that infusion from right. Microsoft, which turns out to be the worst investment in history because it gave Apple uh, enough light runway to see another day, and then it becomes the largest company in the world.
1: Sure, sure. No, Apple. Uh, Apple was in bad shape, and. Steve Jobs came back, and I think at that time there was, you know, I forget the exact numbers, but there was only like months left for Apple to run with their, you know, how much money they had. So, uh, yeah, that was a a time. But then I was still an Apple fan, and I started the website just for personal interest, hobby, and I started my last year of uh, medical school.
0: Did those did those um colorful cube iMacs come out when you launched this blog? I mean did we get any sign of life from Apple to that extent I mean it was the I tech think... it was the tech bubble so a kind of a rising tide was lifting every ship but it was still very much a Microsoft Intel Dell world Yeah Apple no
1: one thought Apple was doing well at that time I mean it was the the website came about after the iMac came out and after Steve Jobs came back so it was definitely The beginning of it. But the iPod hadn't come out then and really sort of the years following the iPod is when Apple really took off.
0: So, yeah, let's fast forward to that. The iPod's launch, was it late 2001? 2001, yeah. 2001. Did you see this coming at all? We knew. I I had my first MP3 was um, right before I graduated from college in 1998, was Everlong by the Foo Fighters. And it was on my, you know, uh, it was a private label laptop. From a you know PC company that doesn't even exist anymore, a clone maker, and I would just play it on Winamp left and right. There yeah. was absolutely no indication in the world that the, the 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 company that would come to own the MP3 and 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 make billions out of it and make a whole different vertical out of it would be Apple. And it wasn't even the MP3 per se; It was the audio track.
1: Yeah, I mean no one I don't think at the time MP3 there were a few MP3 players when Apple came out with theirs and But audio tracks, let's just say digital audio. Oh, we digital had audio. no idea that
0: Apple, why Apple?
1: Yeah, I mean that's a good question and I think at the time people were like why is Apple wasting time on this audio player when, you know, they're not doing well otherwise. Um, but obviously it, it took off. And but it took it took some time and it also took I think porting to Windows too. For it to really take off, yeah, take the people forget
0: initially it was just an Apple, an Apple only product. Yeah, you had to have a Mac uh, right. for the first,
1: I think, which was kind year. of like
0: forcing the ecosystem on you when the world was decidedly skeptical about Apple products. Like you, you know, it's still, it's still a minority player in the grand scheme of PC markets. But now you walk into a Starbucks, it's especially on a college campus, the yeah. overwhelming number of laptops and tablets. There are Apple products.
1: Yeah, definitely. No, Apple's done really well. I mean, it's done remarkably well. Obviously, the iPhone has been the
0: biggest. Uh, Driver of that so tell me um February of 2000 then you just started this blog What did a blog mean back then you just started on a lark? It was fun. You were in your fourth year of medical school and You decide to start a website. What was it on like tripod? What was on an old hosting thing? Take me back 16 years ago Yeah, so well fourth
1: year medical school was relatively light just because they want you to apply to residencies and stuff so I had some free time and I guess starting the website um I forget the name of the host I was on back I, I think actually I think it was called Pear. Um but yeah, blogs were not a big thing. I mean the blog existed. I think Slashdot existed at the time and Slashdot, yeah. Oh gosh. Slashdot still exists. Yeah. And they're actually surprisingly they get a lot of traffic still, as from what I understand. But uh yeah, Slashdot was the only, I guess, traditional what you'd consider a blog back then. Um and that's what Mac Rumors was based on. Uh, Slashdot was sort of the news for nerds, uh, for especially on the Linux people at the time, including um, other you know general science stuff. But uh, so Mac Rumors, uh, the basic model was Mac Rumors was Slashdot for Mac. So people following Apple who cared about you know the next Mac or whatever iMac that came out then, or whatever Apple was working on. It was essentially a weblog for that. So uh, it was set up on – I used PHP Slash, which was a port of dot's code base uh, back in the day. I don't even know if that still exists. And then eventually we, re- we rewrote that.
0: And still you have to have been the hardiest kind of fans to stick with this company through the, the darkest days of the late 90s. Right where its its very solvency was in question. It was it, it, I remember before Jobs came in, Apple kind of resigned itself to doing, um, Wintel compatible computers. Right the 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 PC what are they call the Power PCs. Uh, well, like there was like the Mac clones that the were Mac like for clones, a while. Yeah, yeah the they were Intel. Everywhere. But yeah, whereas now again it's it's a completely different world to go from ninety days to potential bankruptcy to being the most valuable company in the world. Right. Right. Half a trillion dollars value. I mean it's it's unthinkable. No one has kind of done this. No one has disrupted. Audio has disrupted. I mean you don't see Sony products in your house anymore. Right. You don't see – you know, one company has kind of cut this, this swath and to say nothing about iTunes and the depth of content or Apple TV or, or what that offers there um, – Take, again, for one last time, to go back to February two thousand, it was just a forum for people who were really into the computer. I mean, it was a it was essentially a a PC and laptop company then.
1: Yeah, and you know, I think back then Apple Computer. Again, I, I think you're right. I think Apple was always Apple was always on the verge of bankruptcy, if, according to the media. You know, back in the day, and I think uh, the people that liked Macs or liked Apple products really liked it, and it, it because of sort of that becoming. Um, you know, you were you were like this niche product. Uh, there was a lot of loyalty, a lot of like community surrounding that, and I think that's what uh, helped spark sort of the Mac Rumors community. And and you know, you ended up looking for that community. Whereas today, in you know 2016, Apple's so mainstream um, that people don't really seek that out as much in terms of. Uh, you know, there's no, like – there used to be, like, Mac user groups. Those don't really exist. There's no such thing as an iPhone user group as far as I know or, you know, every, there's, it's just everyone's – you know, Correct. there's so many people but, you who know, But then iPhone. Steve
0: Jobs passes away and people across the world are laying flowers down at Apple stores. It's a sure. No, there's still a lot of loyalty to of Apple Cult of Mac products. really does exist.
1: Yeah, yeah. No. Certainly there's a lot of loyalty still to Apple products. But it's a different – it's different when uh, – when you are the biggest company in the world.
0: Walk me through medical school. You did You did continue and you, in fact, were a practicing physician.
1: Yeah, I went through medical school residency and fellowship and actually joined a practice for two years.
0: Was there a half-heartedness doing this um, kind of, all right, I'm going into this but my heart is elsewhere? Has Had that spark for the blog already been lit?
1: Well, I mean, the blog, it was hard, you know, I think the weird thing about the blog thing is, you know, being a blogger or, like, running a website, was that wasn't even a career choice, like, when we were growing up, right? It wasn't even a, a thought that, that would be
0: uh-huh.
1: a career, make any money. Um, I mean, that said, I always was, you know, on the computer science side of things. Um, and were I, you
0: a computer science major?
1: Yeah, I was. Oh, wow. So, you know, going into medicine was sort of, um, sort of the easy path. in you know, I know that sounds weird, but in terms of, like, uh, you know, career path parental pressure, those sort of things. Um, Going into medicine ended up being sort of the, you know, that seemed like the safe choice in a lot of ways, and then Starting the website again wasn't—it wasn't meant to like, oh, I'm going to start this website and quit medicine and be become a you know run a website. Um, That evolved also, and then that you know Mac rumors grew over the years that Apple grew as well in the early 2000s. What
0: were your hours like initially at the practice as a nephrologist, as a full fledged doctor Arnold Kim? Uh, I mean, when did you have time to attend to your laptop or iMac?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, through medical school and residency, I just did, did did it as I had time to. And, you know, it wasn't like um, I didn't put in, you know, full time hours or anything. It definitely uh, evolved over time. Um, and then, but as the following got bigger and as the site grew bigger, I, I felt more obligated. I had some outside help with some friends that would update it during, like, you know, random hours. Um, but yeah, for a while, it, 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 was, it was like I had two full-time jobs towards the end.
0: So there must have been an inflection point. This is what we love to get at in full disclosure is kind of that entrepreneur's kind of uh, moment of epiphany where, gosh, you know, Arnold, this could be something more than a hobby. I mean, theoretically, I could staff it with a bunch of enthusiasts and I could monitor it late at night or over the weekend, but you're a family man. You have other things kind of tugging at you. Being a doctor is a full-time job. Right. You couldn't you couldn't exactly you, you said you I, I think I read somewhere you were signed uh, on to an exclusivity agreement to this nephrology practice for a while. So how did you I want to get to that inflection point where you realize it could be much more than just me and my bathrobe and uh, yeah, know, well, competing with Slashdot.
1: No, 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 I think that really came. I mean, obviously, MacRumors was doing well, even when I started practicing. This was in like 2005, probably or 2006. And so um, I was on a two-year contract with my practice, which I when I joined, um, and it was fine. And then like I said, I felt like I had two full-time jobs in a lot of ways. Um, uh, I think the things that sort of pushed me over was uh, there were a few factors. First, I had had my first kid, so I had my daughter uh, in 2007, which uh, you know, if you have kids, changed my life. Yeah. So well, then I had three time, full-time jobs. It seemed, and that 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 wasn't sustainable. And then the other thing that came along was that after my two year contract, I was up to, uh, for, to become a partner. So I had to buy in and then, like, you know, really sort of commit to the practice going forward. And um, it was around that time that I, I was like, you know, sort of figuring out what, you know, is this what I want to do? And this is like, you know, I had like a year, I'd give, it was about a year ahead that I was starting to think about these issues in terms of what, before my contract was up, um, in terms of do I want to do, you know, run MacRumors, and and MacRumors was doing well at that time, um, but there were certainly risks involved. You know? Was
0: there revenue already from MacRumors yeah, by,
1: by the middle part of the decade? Yeah, revenue had started growing probably in the early, uh, probably around two thousand three, two thousand four. I would say between two thousand two thousand three, revenue was either break even or maybe even a loss at, at at times. But that was because it was post dot com crash. All the money sort of left the internet for sure. a couple of years. And then 2003 2004 is when the big blog network started. I think that's when um, Engadget and Gizmodo those mm-hmm. um, Gawker Gawker right those uh, those started establishing around 2004. Or so um, and then we grew with that trend and with the ad revenue coming in, Google AdSense uh, kicked in around that time too. Uh, so yeah, there was revenue. So it wasn't. I mean, I waited a long time. There, I you know, quitting wasn't a risk in terms of. I wouldn't have a salary the next day. It was more of the long-term stuff, and I, I'm more of a risk-averse kind of guy. You so. are
0: risk-averse, yeah. So, it, so it, looking
1: it, forward, right. you know, I, I, you know, would Mac rumors be around in five years, ten years? Those are sort of the questions. In that the I was interest of full myself. disclosure,
0: can we get an idea of your, um, to the extent, however much you want to tell us, your personal balance sheet? If you had med school debt, I don't know if you took on indebtedness or, um, you know, there's this social compact that doctors necessarily have to work uh, to go through, you know, grueling amounts of debt, not just for uh, graduate school but for undergrad and uh, to what kinds of revenue it was bringing up and maybe the sensitivity analysis you may have done that if I spend this much more time, I can ramp up the revenue this much. I want to – and then this is kind of going back because we can, we can talk to you as a doctor, as an entrepreneur, as a journalist, as an e-commerce person, right? This is getting back to when Google was really taking over the world from Yahoo and some of the other search players. Uh, banner advertising was going away. What were the mechanisms that were kicking in to actually turn this into a profession?
1: Going back to the debt issue. So I was actually very fortunate. So my parents, my dad was a doctor or is a doctor. Yeah, he retired. So they helped fund um, and they you know, school was very important to them. And I'm, you know, I'm Korean. My parents are uh, moved over from Korea in the early 70s. Um, very traditional views on education and, and certainly being a do- becoming a doctor. And my dad being a doctor sort of influenced that. So. Uh, school and, and, and med school uh, were paid for. So I did not have crushing debt to deal with, uh, which was fortunate. Uh, that said, there were obviously parental pressure issues surrounding quitting. Um, I mean, not just parental issues, but a lot of social issues. You know, you go through medical school, you go through, you, you end up joining a practice. I've got four partners that I need to, uh, you know, tell that I'm, I'm not going to continue on. And that, you know, adds to their workload, of course, when I quit. Um, so there are a lot of social pressures, I think, that were probably more concerning to me at the time than any of the financial pressures. Um, and yeah, by that time, Mac rumors had developed a, a pretty good revenue stream. A lot of it was through uh, traditional display advertising as well as Google AdSense, which um, is a version of that. So uh, yeah, I mean, I, I always tell people now, like switching over financially was not Again, a short ter- there. Was, there was no short-term risk. I wasn't like, drop my salary wasn't. I mean, my salary was dropping because I was losing the other revenue stream. But um, yeah, you know, I was very comfortable in terms of what the Mac Rumors was bringing in at the time.
0: Full disclosure: We are talking to Dr. Arnold Kim, the uh, Central Virginia nephrologist and Columbia 1996 graduate turned Apple guru. He is the founder and um, top Walenda at MacRumors.com, uh, which is visited. 15 million unique visitors a month. And that started with, I think, 4 million when you left your practice in 2008.
1: Yeah, we we grew significantly. I mean, if there was, you know, again, you always wonder about long-term growth and long-term success. So yeah, we've we've done well. I think a lot of that corresponded with iPhone growth with Apple. I left my practice in 2008. Uh, iPhone was introduced in 2007 as been growing ever since.
0: Can you tell us about that weekend when you left your practice? Was it a Friday? Was it – was your wife supportive of this? Was your family supportive of this? You talked about the immigrant imprimatur. For example, you know, I was – I'm an Iranian-born Jew and my mother is still in mourning for the fact that I left investment banking for journalism, right? You know, sorry, mom. Listen, I'll make you proud one day. Um, But but – there must have been pushback on this your father's a doctor as well i mean to what extent did you have to say to your family i am taking a leap of faith i'm investing in myself this is speculative to some extent you said you're risk averse you don't know where this space is going to be in 5 years much less 10
1: yeah no the social pressures were were huge they were probably the biggest uh, hurdle and uh, you know my parents always knew i was uh, on the, uh, interested in the computer side of things but they definitely had traditional views i think by the time i decided to quit and i told them they were actually surprisingly supportive i mean even to me at the time um partly because i think they knew mac rumors had grown to a point where even like you know my dad's colleagues and friends knew of it and so you know when you know they knew about mac rumors outside of him telling them anything and so at that point i think he knew so they were remarkably supportive my wife definitely was supportive she uh, you know knew i was happier doing the um you know, running the site than, than necessarily being a doctor. Um, so yeah. So those, those are the factors. I think the biggest factor that was um, an issue was uh, in terms of quitting the practice. Uh, like I said, I don't know if uh, going through medical school and going through um, applying for, um, you know, practice um, jobs, you know, those, those have long lead times. So I knew when I was quitting the practice that they would, they might be, and they, I think they were down a man for a whole year um, afterwards because, uh, you know, in terms of the recruitment cycle usually takes over a year. So, I gave them six months' notice. And so that was sort of the, you know, the senioritis sort of creeped in those last six months where I knew I was leaving. Um, And I, you know, was just waiting.
0: Suppose, let's just say, and and I'm not a doctor and I don't play one on TV, but I would have a jagged kidney stone right now erupt. Could you help me in the studio with a pocket knife or something? Could you still conjure up your old?
1: No, I mean, I was never a surgeon. No,
0: you're supposed to say there's an app for that.
1: Sure. (laughs) (laughs) I was never a surgeon, so I was on the medical side of things. Darn, uh, Arnold. I thought you were going to
0: say, sure, you know. Yeah. uh, If I'm on a plane and somebody says, is there a doctor on board? We have a kidney stone erupting.
1: Yeah, I, I can. I have still some knowledge, but um, I'm you know it's slipping away very quickly over the years.
0: You know, and the other joke. Let me get out of the way before sure. we get into substantive stuff. Is at the top of the show, I played the theme from Doctor Who. I was looking for something topical. I told you that a, a second choice was maybe a track by Urethra Franklin, but you know we we just <laughs> oh God, stop! I'm here for four days. Tip your waiters, Arnold. Um, when you first started Mac Rumors, Apple was uh, just over a dollar a share, and I'm a shareholder. I should tell you this. Uh-huh. I've been for a long time. My parents have it in their portfolio, and I am power of attorney for them. So let's get that disclosure out of the way. It's now at $101 a share. The market capitalization is at $560 billion. Last I checked, that was tops in the world. And from a uh, financial perspective, you find that this company is omnipresent. It's now dominating consumer electronics. I told you I just got the Apple TV. Uh, iTunes is a business unto itself. iPhone, which just launched in 2007, would be a really hardy Fortune 500 company unto itself. If you were just to strip it out of the company, yep. and to say nothing about all the other, you know, irons they have in the fire. If we're talking about the Apple Car or you know, whatever they're building, virtual reality. The 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 word on the street is that this company does not get respect. It has an enormous cash hoard, like north of 200 billion dollars. Most of it held overseas. Apple is almost looked at as a financial paradox today. Like this company has so much it's so big, it's so dependent on one hit product, the iPhone, which has been through so many iterations now, it can't grow that much bigger. What do you say?
1: No, I mean that's a big challenge considering how big iPhone has grown. I mean the financial predictions and stock prices are all a whole different world of, of speculation and in terms of how much growth there is left in the company and I, I it's, it''s it's a fair argument. if you're if you're this big, how much growth is there left? And I think that's the challenge for Apple, for Tim Cook, for the whole, you know, the whole industry, trying to figure out where, where the growth is beyond um, the iPhone and where can you find a product that becomes so ubiquitous in life, you know, like a smartphone. Uh, I don't have any answers to that.
0: <laughs> what, 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 on the innovation thing, you, I see, what, do you have the I, iPhone 6S Plus? I have the, yeah, 6S Plus. What, and you have the iWatch on your wrist? Uh, yeah. You Apple have the Watch. Apple TV at home, I'm sure you have. What do you have, the uh, iPad Pro? I bought an iPad Pro. What's left for them to innovate? Again, this is being myopic because we could have said the same thing when we were sitting around with Motorola Razor phones 10 years ago. Like what's left for the world to do? Right. Where do you see the iPhone itself headed and the functionality for this company to innovate?
1: I mean, I think iPhone is, you know, I think iPhone innovation is still incremental at this point. You know, there were so much, there were so many big leaps and, and bounds early on. You know, the going from like not iPhone to iPhone was insane. I, I remember I had a Palm trio in my pocket.
0: Do you remember for a while the Palm trio was? What was it with well, the Palm Pre was going to be the iPhone killer? Sorry.
1: Yeah. No. And then, yeah, the Palm Treo was in my pocket the day of iPhone announcement, and I I liked the Treo a lot at the time, but then the, the jump was insane. So similarly, I don't think Apple's going to be able to make such a big jump on the um on the phone side, at least um in upcoming iterations. I'm sure there'll be steady improvements, and and there are improvements that you know I think at first seem subtle like Touch ID, but then become you know become necessary ubiquitous. Um, so yeah, it's hard to imagine another another huge generational leap on, on the phone side, uh, but that's why Apple's looking into other markets, cars, VR, whatever sort of emerging is like the next big market. But again, um,
0: there's only you know you, if you're the biggest company
1: in the world, how much growth you don't know where the ceiling is.
0: The interesting thing is I go back to this tell-all written by a, a Canadian journalist, uh, gosh, if I can remember, on BlackBerry Research in Motion's demise. Yeah. And when these executives at Toronto Waterloo-based um, Research in Motion, the old parent of BlackBerry, which is now BlackBerry Corporation for better or for worse, um, when they first got their mitts on this curiosity, the first issued iPhone – they looked at it. It's like it's like you know chimpanzees being handed something that fell from another planet, and um, the terror that quickly took over their faces when when they realized that this sob Jobs put a full-fledged browser on this. Yeah. There's nothing to throttle your experience. Now, when I read about this, it's amazing to me. AT&T, the original. Exclusive carrier wasn't even allowed to see the iPhone before it signed on to exclusivity. I mean, you talk about Steve Jobs' salesmanship, right? Right, and selling you something—that reality distortion force field. So not only that, he sells them that something that, that ends up overwhelming their network. By the year 2010, you have rumors of AT&T saying to customers in New York and San Francisco, like, listen, we can't actually handle you. We're, we're not looking to sell you iPhones right now. It's too much of an intuitive. It was too much of a leap. But what's amazing to me is that Steve Jobs did this. For all of his foibles, all of his flaws, he was enough of a visionary to say, you know what, people are going to demand this bad network, be damned. Are you saying you're surprised that Steve was able to convince AT&T? I'm surprised when you talk about the leap, when you talk about it suddenly uh, remaindering the Palm product that you have in your hands. You talk about a leap of faith. He had to delude himself before he deluded other people that I could put a full browser on this thing. I could put a high megapixel thing on this thing. I could put bandwidth hogs on it. And you know what? It might It might overwhelm the exclusive network initially, but they're not going to blame me for it. Right.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, I I don't know what the—I mean— Steve Jobs was obviously an amazing negotiator, had such a presence with people. Um, it doesn't surprise me at all that he he was able to work work these deals with AT&T or,
0: at the time. But do you see what I'm saying about the delusional aspect of it, right? To have a bunch of lackeys around you to say, yes, this is what we want to do. But if the network is not there to do it, he still pushed it through. You would have a lot of people – I'm sure if you brought in McKinsey Consultants in the beginning of 2007, the middle of 2007 and said – you know what? This is a great idea and we could see in, in in certain number of years when we get into 4G and 5G that it might accommodate bandwidth hog applications like this. But you're asking – you're cruising for a bruising if you're going to put this out on overly constrained networks right
1: now. See, but I think that's sort of in retrospect. At the time, the iPhone wasn't necessarily considered – I mean the for the people that – were interested it seemed like an amazing thing but you know bomber was famously quoted as saying that it would never take off it would never work because it was six hundred dollars
0: he visited our magazine he, he did this tour this road show of new york steve jobs did with his coterie to show us this curiosity and we were like oh cute you know an ipod that makes calls <laughs> yeah. right you might see it on the fashion shows of the runways and everything but it was nothing more than a curiosity
1: yeah, I mean no, I mean iPhone's more successful than even I think Steve Jobs probably uh, thought it would be uh, in the in the in the few years that after it was launched.
0: Don't you think? I can't believe how successful it is. Yeah. Again, if you carve it out, it could be a Fortune 50 company. Yeah. Right, and again that this is just a barely a 9-year-old product at this point. Yeah. So having having said that, now I see you're wearing the Apple Watch. That was supposed to add extend the ecosystem of the iPhone. You didn't have to have it around, have it to your face, be looking at it constantly. A, a lot of people have, out there said that it was a flop. It was too incremental that it wasn't exactly, you know, it hasn't hasn't forced lines. It hasn't stoked any product lust in people. Like I I think Apple should give me one for free because I have the, you know, Trifecta, the the, the the four or five Apple products in the house they should throw this in for free
1: yeah the Apple watch is still early I mean it's still on the first generation so I mean I'm not I don't really defend the Apple watch I I, I have one I don't recommend it to people when they ask me about it really I, I, I don't I don't tell them I think the versus the iPhone when I had the first iPhone or early iPhones and people asked me about the iPhone I said it, you know I said you have to have one it's
0: what like, is it about the Apple watch that was a little meh for you I mean I
1: think the Apple watch doesn't change anything. It just makes your life a little more convenient, whereas, like, the iPhone changed how you used your phone. The watch is convenient, nice, but there's a few issues with the first generation in terms of slowness and just functionality that you don't – uh thing is if I leave my watch, and once I misplaced it for, like, a week, and it, I didn't really miss it. So I think that – whereas if I, you know if I don't have my phone for five minutes, I'm, like, scrambling for it, looking for it. I think that's the most telling.
0: Does the watch kind of bridge that gap for you? When you don't have the phone, does it make – you just glance over and
1: – I mean, again, there's, there are certain times where it's very convenient if I'm in a meeting or – which I don't do a lot of meetings. But if I – or I'm out uh, in the evening and someone sends a text, it's nice to glance. But, again, it's a convenience. It's not um, – you know, otherwise you know, otherwise I look at my phone.
0: Uh, talk to me, if you will, about Apple Pay, which I thought was going to be a big killer app because, on you know, on the one hand – these guys, again, if, if you were to look at them as a traditional conglomerate, they're now hoarding over $200 billion of cash. They could be the National Bank of Apple if they wanted to. They could control point-to-point payments. I mean, it's not very hard for any restaurant owner or shop owner to keep a dumb you know, Wi-Fi uh, enabled uh, terminal just to tap on people's phones Yeah. for them to control the experience. Instead, they kind of came in incrementally with the iPhone 6 and had the you know, fingerprint-enabled pay. You see it at Whole Foods. You see it at a handful of places. I think CVS balked back on it. I'm struck by the extent to which the pickup of this has been so slow. They've been unusually incremental in something that is supposed to be so disruptive, i.e. the smartphone replacing the wallet and the credit card.
1: Yeah. No, Apple Pay sounds very promising. And I think their incremental way of going into it was because there's so many players involved. You You have to get all the retailers involved. And I think that's the thing that's been hurting it for me. I don't know. Do you use Apple Pay? No, I, I don't. I, yeah.
0: have a, I have a 5S.
1: Oh, okay. I, I think the thing that bums me out when I try to use it or forget to use it is that I, there's, it's, it's not in enough places where you remember to use it. And so, you know, for every place that doesn't have it, you pull out your wallet. And then for every place that does have it, you just don't get in the habit of, of pulling out your, here's your a phone. Cra-
0: here's a crazy thing, though. There was a there was a great – um, um Hedge fund manager Eric Jackson uh, of Iron Fire Capital said several years ago that this, before they do any pay product, is maybe why they should consider outright buying one of the providers like a MasterCard, because that immediately buys you a foot into every door. Um, The merchants are not going to go back and kick out MasterCard because Apple bought them. Do you see what I'm saying? It's a bit of a chicken or egg dilemma. I would think that if the iPhone is the overwhelming market-dominant smartphone, and most people let's say six and a half out of 10 walk into a CVS with an iPhone, then that would create the pull of CVS enabling the iPhone. But instead there was this kind of – there was protectionism like, no, we want to control the means of payment. The credit card company like, no, we want to control it because they're protecting you know, their 2.5% cut. I And this gets to like a techie question. If a lot of people in the world have iPhones – um, they can create their own ecosystem, just like FaceTime is iPhone to iPhone. Why can't Apple enable payments to payments because so many people are on their network to begin with?
1: I mean, they could, but it's always a dilemma for Apple in terms of how far they go in cutting out
0: that, to me, That, to me, Arnold, is disruptive. Payment. Like, if I actually can can take for granted that I could pay for anything with my iPhone, right? Yeah. And I don't have to multi-home and carry 10 credit cards in my wallet. But ultimately,
1: doesn't that – End up fragmenting again. I mean, you know, once Apple has their own network that's completely exclusive to them, Mm -hmm. then what? Happen? I I still feel like the fragmentation will be there. Yeah, I
0: want to challenge you on this because I think as Apple takes over increasing swaths of my life, again, my first Apple product that I purchased was this um, iMac in um, 2010. And then shortly after that, I bought an iPod Touch, an iPhone. You know, We went MacBook, everything. Now, seven years later, I have the full panoply of everything except for the watch, which, again, I think they should throw in for free. But that ecosystem, this is what I'm getting at. That ecosystem is, is, is both making their products indispensable to me. It's very hard for me to leave that ecosystem. I can't FaceTime with my wife or my, my parents in Miami or anything like that anymore. And I'm wondering why they don't impose that ecosystem on the payments disruption i think that that's not an incremental move for them next i think payments is something that they could really dominate Again, challenge me challenge me i mean i think the issue is
1: is there's there's so many players involved and there's so many people that you're stepping on top but
0: you're talking about the largest company in the world you're talking about the most well capitalized company the largest player the biggest market capitalization in the world and nipping on its heels is google which is also competing in that area, yeah.
1: but with I think Google Pay. I mean, I think it's a the similar comparison is why doesn't Apple get into content? So, and the issue with that is that you start alienating other content providers. So, you know, I, I mean, I don't know the mechanics of how you get payment systems into stores, but presumably, if Apple buys Mastercard or whatever, whatever is notable, you know, there's still unless they own like unless they end up owning 90 plus percent of the market outright um there's going to be like other factions that are like no we're we're not supporting that anymore or, or, or we're trying to do our own Yeah, system. i think
0: that would be anti-competitive i mean we can always wrangle an attorney off franklin street or something and <laughs> get him in here but i think that you know they're not going to kick out uh, they're not you know mastercard's getting bought by another conglomerate which happens to be a tech and it Conglomerate. I'm just saying if these guys – by the way, they're building an enormous headquarters in Cupertino that looks like a spaceship. It looks like something out of V, the final series right now. Yeah. As they sit around and they mock up and they doctor up these things and as you've read before, these guys – You know now, Tim Cook's coterie. Sometimes they're so nefarious that they plant disinformation among their own staff to see who's leaking bad news to journalists, so they could find the rats internally. Right? This is a place where they mock up things with black cloaks. Like we don't know even the BS name that they use for the iPad, the Slate. You know, Project Slate. Everybody thought it was going to be called the iSlate. So it's a it's an intensely secretive company. But we know that they have to have a moonshot because it's very hard to move the needle on a you know, $600 billion market cap company.
1: But see, you talk about it like, I mean, I think you mentioned Sony before, but look, if you look at, I mean, I think the problem with, or the beauty of Apple has always been they've been very focused on what they've been working on. So if you look at Sony as a comparison, they have like so many divisions, you know, one's content, one's memory sticks for whatever reason. And then, you know, all these, all these sort of distractions end up you know, what's their core competency
0: anymore? But it's also innovate or die, right? If they didn't know, if they didn't know enough that the Walkman and the Discman thing were going to get disrupted, then they don't deserve to be around.
1: But I'm just saying there's like a focus issue with Apple is if, and I think that's been their strength before is that, you know, they could become the biggest bank in the world, but how does that really help them sell more iPhones?
0: And Arnold Kim, our guest today on Full Disclosure, could have become the biggest market-leading nephrologist on the East Coast. But instead, he's the biggest source of Apple news, Um, uh, founder, and uh, uh, chief editor, guru, whatever it is, of MacRumors.com. I want to ask you, to the extent that you are cleared for events now and they have to deal with you as a major hitter um, alongside the players at the New York Times or – We're not uh,
1: cleared for events.
0: Bloomberg – but isn't that isn't that a nod when you're getting press passes? We're to, not getting press passes. So how do you how do you go into something like a CES
1: or you know uh, consumer uh, electronics? Well, Apple doesn't control CES. So no, I'm not talking about CES. that. I'm,
0: I'm talking about at, you. You are effectively a journalist at this point, and you're yeah. you're lording over a, a without having gone to J school or anything sure. like that. You've become a journalist. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Talk to me about that. That's a person who, by dint of just scrappiness, and you're very resourceful at mining the um, comments sections and the boards and everything for reliable information. I think your scientific skepticism lets you separate crap from, you know, there's so much crap out there. There's so much innuendo, garbage about things that aren't going to happen. And and then you're under pressure to come up with good nuggets lest you lose the reputation and the revenue of your website.
1: Right. Yeah, no, I think the evolution of bloggers and journalists is a really fascinating subject and and something that, you know, I went through throughout the 2000s where I never considered myself a journalist um, early on. nor I mean, and, you know, if you ask me, I wouldn't call myself a journalist outright. But I definitely fall into that category of the, that new generation, including the whole blog network growth. And I think there's been a, um, you know, media in general has been going through disruptive changes over the past 10, 15 years, and I think it's still changing. I think my role as a – what I would say as a blogger early on has has now, like, evolved even more where, you know, at this point, people are getting news off social media as much as anything else. And so the role of media has, has changed. Um, I feel like I've gone through a whole cycle. Like, I feel like when, when I started, with the rise of the blogs um, – that was a whole disruption compared to traditional print media, and then now we're seeing sort of the the growth of social media, which is not only still disrupting print media, but also disrupting even online publishing, which is uh, going through a I would think a down cycle at this time.
0: Well, we're going to get into that, but I also want to get into whatever extent of communication or lack thereof you have had with Apple's uh, corporate PR apparatus. We know Steve Jobs when he was when he was down on his luck, and it was the late '90s, and he was coming back for redemption. He was eager to meet with any journalist anyone at Fortune, anyone at Forbes, anyone who would give him a second look and wouldn't just look at him as a 1976 or 1984 story, right? Because he was fighting against the Wintel oligopoly, right? Um, But when the company became the largest company in the world and the iPhone was taking over the world by 2007, I have to tell you from a perspective, and I've covered the company before. I had a um, cover story for Business Week at the beginning of 2010. It's – are the iHogs going to destroy the iPhone, right? what What's going on that AT&T is so overwhelmed with this? And what does it say about the future of unlimited data when everybody loves their smartphones and they overuse the network so much? And Apple PR was uniquely unpleasant to deal with for me. They are a uh, – I have to say they're kind of like East German in their approach to press relations. Unless you are the golden child, our, our beat reporter or someone at you know Businessweek or the New York Times who deals with them – Um, They go behind you. They go to your editors like, what's this guy up to? Um, You know, They don't deal with you directly. They go back to the beat reporters like, are you sure you want to let this guy do this story? Um, They play all these head games before somebody even gives you a no comment. And that makes you, the journalist, feel like you want to dig even more. You've been slighted and they flicked off at you. Um, Talk to us about your dealings with the company directly because for better or for worse, they do have to deal with you.
1: No, I, honestly, I don't know if they do have to do with us. We, so we fall in this weird um, historical bias. So um, if you if you look back to the early 2000s, there were um, what were considered um, you know tr- true journalist outlets or you know real real outlets, including of, of course, the the major ones, New York Times, but also uh, in the Mac world, there was um, what were considered um, um, I guess the proper outlets such as Macworld or Mac Central years ago. And at that time, there was a, uh, a separate group of what were the called rumor sites, including Mac Rumors, as well as a few others um, that are no longer around. Um, but Apple made had a very clear distinction, and in fact, they would tell like, their employees not to go to these rumor sites, and they had very much just blackballed the rumor sites where they would not talk to them, would not invite them to press. Um, Events, and that sort of bias sort of holds true today, despite the fact that the 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 line between rumor site and non rumor site has has blurred, blurred so much. Yeah. yeah. I mean, New York Times is responsible for as many rumors as uh, as we are in in a lot of ways.
0: So what, what do they do? Do they have proxies deal with you? I mean, you have to sometimes get – you have to go to the horse's mouth if you hear something. How do you get something confirmed? I mean, we,
1: we, we will still reach out to Apple PR, but our responses – and we do occasionally get responses, but uh, it's it, we don't have a good relationship with them. We don't have an ongoing relationship with them, nothing that I would say that we actually have a – a well-established. Are you interested in internet. some
0: of the other players? Actually, broadly, if you look at how tech has been disrupted, you look at all things digital. How it broke away from the Wall Street Journal became Recode, Kara Swisher, and Walt, and their coterie of people have gone off. Or this guy Marquise Brownlee, you know MKVHD. Yep. He takes the. I mean, it's amazing. I I think he heard a rumor with the iPhone six that it was going to be all like all. What is that glass that you can't scratch, the stuff that the fingerprint reader is made of? Sapphire. The whole thing was going to be sapphire. So he did this demonstration of keying the sapphire thing, and it turns out just to be the fingerprint reader in the end. Um, how do I just want to get at your verification process. How do you? Who are your people out there? Who's your kitchen cabinet, um, the, the people you go to to bounce? All this stuff that you get every day. You get all of these leads, and I can't imagine what you wake up to in the morning that you have to then filter and then present out on MacRumors.com.
1: Yeah, I mean some of it is like I said, I think you referred to back towards the scientific um side of things or scientific, I guess, approach that we've had. And we've always taken I always tell people we would take rumors very seriously because there's a lot of, you know, BS out there in terms of people claiming things and sites claiming things. Um, So we definitely have a skeptical approach to everything. And we do have some sources around that we can ask, bounce things off of. But Apple PR is not one of them, unfortunately. Beyond that, uh, you know, a lot of it is sort of putting it in context. And, you know, we do this every day, all day. um, So we know where the good information has come from in the past. We know where... um, where we can verify some some aspects, and then otherwise, it's a matter of just sort of being realistic about it and presenting it to the reader as a you know here this is you know this is why it's likely this is why it's not likely, and I think people have um, appreciated that approach at least our audience has over the years versus the more um, sensationalistic approach where you know you could you could spout off. You know, a lot of absurd rumors over mm. over time, just to get the short term gains. But um, long term, I think you know we've we've been able to establish a good re- reputation in the community.
0: Talk to us about Apple's standoff with encryption and privacy right now in the wake of the San Bernardino yeah. shootings and the seized iPhone there.
1: Yeah. So that's a big story and has become huge in the mainstream media. Um, so Apple has, I guess, received a court order from the FBI, Department of Justice, saying. Um, you know, asking them to uh, create a slightly less secure version of iOS for this one particular phone so they can break into it, the FBI can break into it. And Apple has taken a really hard stance saying, no, we think that's really irresponsible. We don't want to do it. We don't We don't think we should be allow- uh, legally obligated to do it. And that's sort of the big case that's going on right now. Um So that's been a big story, and I guess um, the main issue is that Apple can't decrypt the phone. They just are incapable of it. It's beyond their technology. It's beyond uh, the FBI's technology, Um, but they could potentially make a less secure version of the iOS operating system, which would allow the FBI to break in.
0: What do you think ends the impasse?
1: I mean it's a legal one now, right? It's, it's, it's going to be the courts to decide uh, whether or not Apple's compelled to or not. It's and- not one
0: of those things where the FBI can bring in the phone and say, all right, guys, take it behind your, your black curtain and then open it up for us uh, under monitoring. But they just don't want to give away the, 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 the way of monitoring because it then hands over an enormous um, concession of, of, of privacy to this enormous installed base of, of iPhone users.
1: Yeah, on Apple's side, their line drawn in the sand is that, you know, forcing us to write this less secure version of iOS makes iOS less secure for everyone, ultimately. And it also sets a really strong precedence of compelling a company to actually create code for, you know, purposes that are simply to... Allow access.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, talk about the other tools that Apple's giving you, and I guess in your fight for privacy as a as a user. But you were also outspoken on, um, for example, Safari and its unique ad blocking technology could single handedly disrupt the entire online journalism market. This is where you're uniquely able to talk about someone who depends on ad revenue, right? And someone who can kind of look forward to, for example, now I go on Forbes.com increasingly, which had one of the most annoying user interfaces and would very cynically bombard you with things and, and and malware and bloatware, and it would just tell you that you know if you'd like to continue, please unlock your right, you know your pop up blocker. What do you what do you think this is going to do to the broader industry?
1: Yeah, well, I think so. The big news was when with iOS nine, Apple allowed content blocking, which was basically ad blocking. So you could download a plugin or a, an app that basically turned on ad blocking in your mobile Safari, which was a big deal because otherwise um, that wasn't. Possible on desktop browsers, it's been possible for years, and there's been an increasing number of users who've opted to block ads. And honestly, it's a it's a better experience. And I had to do it. I I installed an ad blocker in my parents' computers because, um, you know, the, the, there's a lot of malicious and scammy ads out there that try to get people to call in, give their credit card numbers, those sort of things. Um, but yeah, the issue long term is how does how does media sustain, which has been traditionally display advertising based, including us. We're ninety plus percent, uh, probably ninety nine percent, ad traditional display advertising revenue wise. So if all the users end up blocking ads, and what happens to the rest of us? What happens to the you know the what happens to the um, businesses that are built on these?
0: Have you thought about it? If you had to counterfactualize it yourself, what if I was told by edict or by technology or something tomorrow, Arnold, you not depend on on advertising anymore what what fraction of your avid installed user base is willing to pay and what do you think would be the willingness to pay uh, uh, this gets at a meaning of life question for any journalist really, yeah. at this point no so because you become all, you're like a borderline research service if you're a sell side analyst for example i know you said that you're not following the stock and all these other things but i'm sure any analyst worth his salt on wall street is following what mac Rumors says is following what Residual players on Slashdot are saying, as following yeah. Recode is saying, or you know Fortune's Mac blog.
1: Right. So what happened? Yeah. So that's a big question, and it's been a big question, especially in pre iOS nine. Something I thought about a lot is what's what's a revenue model outside of advertising on what on blogs or news sites, and um, you know traditionally I think there's been attempts at doing subscription models where you get the readers to pay some amount of money for either no ads and other benefits. And that's something we've been looking into. We've been looking into for uh, quite a few months, actually. Um, the problem is I think most subscription models are awful in terms of no one actually mm. subscribes. I mean, you know, what's what's the penetration rate of a, of a subscription service if you're not the New York Times, for, for example? Um, and that's the challenge. And we're, we've been working on it, and we're still working on it. Um, but that is a plan to diversify revenue stream is to introduce some sort of way that we can um, – you know have our have our readers, our most loyal readers pay us some amount of money um not only to continue the site, but which is more of a you know that's sort of more of a charitable aspect, but also to provide some level of community um, component to
0: it as mm-hmm. well. Talk to us about the other areas that you guys are branching into as as demand as the static blog kind of morphs into something else. Is there going to be an Arnold Palooza event somewhere? <laughs> is there going to be kind of a meet and greet? Uh,
1: probably not. A, we talked
0: about the podcast beforehand.
1: Yeah, so we're working on things, and we've. We're, I, I think you have to evolve um, as you know media evolves, and and by that I mean you know where your audience is. So you know I would say ten years ten years ago. Um, the average uh, Mac Rumors visitor probably you know visited Mac Rumors and then visited five or six or ten other sites on their bookmarks list. I think now um, people don't consume that way. So now you, Mac Rumors might appear in your social feed, either Twitter or Facebook. And so we're just trying to be more relevant in those areas as well as um, as other areas, including we're working on a podcast, but that's sort of still in the work, still in the practice sessions, um, trying to keep that interesting, keep make it make it relevant. Um, we are inc- doing increasingly um, video content on YouTube as well as uh, embedded. Does on our that site. does that
0: pay for itself? I mean, are there margins in that, or is that something you just do for brand affinity?
1: Uh, it's a little of both. I mean, at small scale, YouTube doesn't pay for itself. But that's true for any ad based business: is that um, you need scale. So we don't have scale on YouTube in terms of our subscriber numbers or reach, but we do have. Um, but it does. What else provide... is in your
0: revenue mix? Dime bags, Quaaludes. What else I mean do you we have?
1: are overwhelmingly supported by display advertising, traditional banner ads on the site. That Does that is.
0: unsettle you to the extent that this is no longer a hobby? This is an enterprise. For example, how many employees do you have now? I didn't even ask you. All
1: uh, Altogether, including um, everything, we've probably got like nine full-time people and some freelancers.
0: And did, I, I got to say, when was the last time you did a blog post in your – Bathrobe, this is the fantasy I have as a journalist getting paid to write something in my bathrobe. Yeah, I've never actually gotten paid to I'm write not a something bath in bathrobe guys. So. I'm totally in my bathrobe <laughs> because I would love to say like how you like me now You know, I just point up and say I take selfies and post them up on Instagram. I'm like, getting paid in my bathrobe But definitely I, I you know, I write whatever and I I'm get wearing. like a Hugh Hefner bathrobe and get paid, too
1: Yeah, I should look into that. I should I should I should up, up That my, could
0: be a revenue stream for you.
1: my bathrobe <laughs> game no, but uh, yeah, I I wrote something over the weekend, just uh, in whatever I was wearing at the time, lounging around home. So yeah, it's it's a it's a leisure, you know, it's a good life in terms of uh, I don't have to go to the office, which you know can be soul crushing.
0: It it is soul crushing. That's the amazing thing to me. But now, um, you know, and it goes back to somebody who's profiled you in the New York Times, Brian Stelter. Yeah, Brian Stelter was a star student. I don't know if it was at Towson University or somewhere in Maryland where he covered. The um, TV industry so well that the New York Times came and hired him. Yeah, yeah, right. And that is the exception to the. And I'd love to have him on the show in the future because otherwise you'd have to go through the uh, internship program, file your resume, but instead to do something so great that the paper record comes after you. And and that's also amazing to me is that your hobby morphed into something so amazing. I mean, do you. Do, I'm not saying this in a kind of kiss ass way. Do you kind of? How old are your kids now? Six and eight. And do you, do you say, look, I'm lucky that I get to do this on my own terms? I'm in central Virginia where I was originally. I don't have to be worried about a, a buyout, a, a partnership at the office, that I'm not sweating it, that it's very much—I mean, you're passionate about what you do.
1: Yeah, no, I love what I do. And I no, I'm, I'm incredibly lucky. I, I mean, I see my life as, you know, I, in some ways, I won the lottery, essentially, because— um, you know, doing what you want to do or actually are passionate about is sort of the dream. But you know, how many people get are you a that? LinkedIn influencer? I, I don't even know what that is. Oh, I love you for saying that, dude.
0: <laughs> you're not a LinkedIn influencer. That's awesome. I'm on LinkedIn, whatever. But beyond, well, because it <laughs> beyond gets beyond to that. social media. There has to be a lot of social media hustle in what you're doing. What's very different from when you launched this in February 2000. It's not a static web world. A lot of people come to you through your Twitter posts, yeah, right, and a lot of people go through professional research things through LinkedIn posts. You know, certain journalists morph into LinkedIn influencers. There's a whole new oh, yeah. patina of narcissism to that. Because I'm not bitter that they didn't ask me to be one arm. Yeah. <laughs> Don't even insinuate that. But yeah, do you find that you have to do that a lot? Is it where do you, where do you take your game? Facebook. You talk about YouTube. Now you have to really flood the plane.
1: Yeah, in terms of trying to get Mac rumors like,
0: everywhere, you just can't put the website up there. You have to tweet it out. You have to yeah. promote it. You have to push it.
1: Yeah, and you know, and and you have to f- spend some time on it. I mean, I think for a while we were just posting, um, you know, stream posting to Facebook, and then. Um, but if you spend a little more time on it, you get a little more better. A little, uh, How's your MySpace game now? <laughs> our MySpace game is uh, we did have a MySpace page. We've been around that long that we actually had one.
0: Have you task-rabbited that to someone else? Have you, uh, we should have. We've, we've
1: let it slide. I think I haven't even looked at our slide, MySpace slide, page. Slide.
0: <laughs> in the few minutes we have, Les, I, I, I would love for you, Dr. Uh, Kim, to look into your crystal ball in terms of functionality, what we're going to see. For example, we didn't talk about the Apple Car much. Yeah. Um This 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 idea that a lot of people romance, which you must hear left and right at Mac Rumors, is the Apple Tesla tie-up. That the next thing for them to dominate is not just the dashboard, not just Siri uh, on on Bluetooth, but the entire experience. What do you make of that?
1: I think it sounds amazing. It's hard to imagine. So I don't think Apple and Tesla are going to work together necessarily. I don't think Elon Musk would would sell or give up control. I don't know if you have any thoughts about. Elon and Tesla. but
0: I do, man. I think that a lot of people are saying to Tim Cook, unfortunately, you know, where he said, you know, he, I'd like to beg off from that. They see him as the next player, much more of a tech person, much more of an engineer than the salesman or the, the snake oil salesman that Steve Jobs was. I think people are excited by the fact that you get this product lusty car in the Tesla matched up with the product-lusty consumer electronics player, Apple. Yeah. No, if anyone can do it, Apple can do it,
1: right? So they have done a really great job at vertical integration, so they can provide, hopefully, the whole the whole package. It's just hard to imagine, in, in, in a short period of time, them being able to make a big launch, making a big generational jump like they do with the iPhone in, in terms of electric cars. Tesla has such an advantage in terms of, having gone through it for several years now. Yeah, but if you think about it, they bought that network. they
0: bought that plant, what was it in 2008, 2009 in California. Right. I mean, again, you're going up against a company with the largest cash hoard in the world. And their bottleneck, if it's not financial, it might be the battery technology. This is where the company's interests really align.
1: Yeah. No, I mean I'm I'm all for it. I think if Apple
0: were to produce an electric car, that would be amazing. Oh, yeah. well, are you saying that Apple's going to buy Tesla, my man? No. See, I don't see how a Tesla has any are, – are, are you saying that in, in five years we're going to see an Apple car?
1: I think Apple is working on a car. Whether or not it comes to market, who knows? But I think the earliest we'll see it is like 2020 or what people are predicting.
0: And in closing, last comment from Dr. Arnold Kim. What do you recommend for optimal kidney health? For example, are you are you a practitioner of drinking a lot of cranberry juice, limiting tea intake, colas, any?
1: No, I have no specific. Uh, I, I know there's, there's, um, People often say you have to drink a lot of water, but I don't know if I really That's
0: all that. I'm going to get out of you, man. Not even I, I'll give you a copay. Come on. Give us yeah. some advice. <laughs> Dr. Arnold Kim, founder of macrumors.com, the massive source of Apple intel, uh, former lapse nephrologist. But, uh, he's, you know, I, I think if somebody gets a kidney stone on a plane, uh, dude, I think you could wing it with a plastic knife on a yeah. plane. But I'll I won't advertise it. that anyway. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Full disclosure, our engineer is John Valentine. We are on NPR One, iTunes, SoundCloud, WRIR, Stitcher, and even Apple TV. Apple Newton, I don't know how long we're going to be supporting that, but we are 2-bit, Firewire, iOS 2 enabled, 10 megabytes total on 20 floppies. I'm Robin Farzad. Back at you next week.